it you don't need the comparison of your fermentation to be the glycol chilled or the fermentation chamber fermentation comparing and despairing is a dangerous path uh, but compare it to what it would be if you didn't do the things that that you're doing if if you didn't take the precautions of using a water bath or a cooling jacket your beer. My name's Garrett Allen, and I am a professional brewer and an avid brewer at home. And I'm here to help you accelerate your progression through the beer making process and quickly get higher quality brews. This is episode number 24, and today's topic is fermentation temperature control. Fermentation control is arguably the most important aspect of making great beer. You can make good beer without it, but not necessarily consistently. Temp control is the first thing that I looked into manipulating in my brewery once I got hooked on brewing. But when I first started, <laughs> and really even now, although I just ignore it and do it anyway like, like a good adult, I didn't necessarily have the financial freedom to be buying systems to help, my, to help control my fermentation temperatures. But there are a few ways for a home brewer to help mitigate the heat and keep fermentation under control for better beers. And in this podcast, I'll go through all the options so you can figure out what's right for you wherever your brewing journey is. But first, quick few asks because the show is free and I try to give you the best information I have to make your beer better or brew life easier. They help support me and keep all this running. I've spent a good year plus working on getting the New England IPA style figured out and tasting like the breweries that have become top dogs in the hazy IPA game. I've found that it's really a few key things that you need to consider in your ingredients and process that really elevate hazy IPA to another level. Instead of the same old sweet orange citrus IPA that happens to be hazy, these keys will help you make IPAs with interesting and differentiating aromas great drinkability, and full in flavor and texture. To get my video lessons on this, head on over to progressyourbeer.com. I'll have the link to that in the podcast description. Let me know who you are and give me an email address where I can send you your free short video lessons on making delicious New England IPA. And if you like this podcast and have found the information useful or interesting, please give a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. It helps drive organic growth and discussion, which is really awesome. And please tell a friend who you also think would find this information valuable and awesome. And finally, follow me on Instagram for quick tips and fun photos. Handle as progress your beer. Now back to fermentation control. So I guess not necessarily control, but the first couple parts of this are controlling your temperature. So the first and most expensive way to do this is with 
glycol. I personally find that this is, and it may be the professional brewer in me, getting a little um, too complicated with things, but to me, glycol has a lot of benefits that the other types of fermentation control just don't have. So with glycol and, and a fermentation chamber, uh, it, it's all about refrigeration cycles. Look up the cycles if you're curious. They're fascinating. I learned them in school. And they essentially use the evaporation of a, of a refrigerant. Like um, it used to be Freon, but now there are all types of refrigerants that are a little less environmentally impactful um, that do they may not perform as efficiently but they're much safer for the ozone but anyway these refrigerants uh, basically um, go through a cycle where they evaporate and cool uh, through a heat exchanger and and either your glycol runs through this refrigerant uh, and chilled or air if you're going through air conditioning or in your refrigerator or all of that. So that evaporation is cooling your liquid relative to the environment. And then after evaporation, um, you're using electricity or work to compress that gas back down to a, uh, a liquid um, so that it uh, condenses again and uh, gives off heat relative to the uh, uh, to your environment and so on. Um, so yeah, look up those cycles if, if you're curious on learning a little more. Um, uh, pressure enthalpy cycle diagrams for that vapor compression cycle. Uh, it, it's it's one of my favorite diagrams. It it's so interesting. Pressure enthalpy cycle diagrams for that vapor compression cycle are. They're one of my favorites. They're so interesting to look at and analyze and, and just kind of figure out what's going on. Um, it, it's, it's an incredible invention, and um, I just wanted to talk about it because that's how a lot of things work. Uh, the air conditioning in your car, your home, uh, your refrigerator, your freezers, all of that are running on refrigeration cycles. and. And it's amazing. So um, I thought I'd touch on that when I talk about fermentation control because that's essentially what's happening. And then if you're using a glycol system, how it works is you have a that chiller, that glycol system running through uh, that refrigeration. And it is chilling that, uh, your water glycol reservoir down to a certain set point. And that set point is about six to eight degrees Fahrenheit lower. Uh, so the reservoir set point, let me back up. How a glycol system works is that you have a glycol reservoir that is colder than your set point, your lowest set point for your uh, fermenter. So if you're cold crashing to 35 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to want your reservoir to be around 27 to 29 degrees Fahrenheit um, just because that allows your system to operate effectively. Uh, and so that 28, 29 degree Fahrenheit reservoir is going to be pumped through the system uh, uh, via a controller that 
um, you have a set point for your fermenter and um, this is where uh, PIDs can get really uh, not complicated but uh, especially for something as simple as this uh, PIDs aren't necessarily uh, <laughs> necessary uh, but they can help fine-tune if, if you're really trying to get that temperature dialed in exactly PIDs can help that but a simple on off control setup is perfectly fine here so with that being said I'll just kind of run through the essentials you will need if you are looking to do a glycol setup so first of all you will need the the glycol chiller and those can be expensive they can run around a thousand dollars and that's not including pumps that you have to uh, incorporate that's not including lines insulation all of these things a, a, a controller even um, a lot of these glycol chillers only have an internal set point controller where you set the glycol reservoir temperature and that's it you have to find a controller that you can use to turn your pumps on and off that are pumping that cooled glycol reservoir through your fermentation whether that's via a jacket which I don't think I've ever seen on the homebrew scale but that's how a professional scale is your fermentation uh, your fermentation vessels are jacketed uh, so glycol can run through the outsides of your fermenter and chill them appropriately um, but on the homebrew scale it's, it's typically uh, heat transfer coils that are going through the middle of your fermentation which I personally think work a little better but that's that's for another podcast um, but yeah, so that's how glycol works. You you need a couple different controllers. One to control the set point of your glycol reservoir temperature, and then another controller to uh you to manipulate a pump to turn on and off uh or uh have a VFD if you're so inclined to um, speed up or slow down the pumping of the refriger of the uh, glycol through your fermentation to get exactly the temperature you want, and uh, it's complicated and expensive. So, uh, and and that's not even including the insulation that you're going to need uh, for that reservoir, for your lines, and even the fermenter to increase the efficiency and the effectiveness of your glycol chiller. Um, right now, it is really hot in my apartment, and I do have a glycol chiller because I'm irresponsible with my money. And I, it, I have it set at 36 degrees. I'm cold crashing a, uh, a yet another check, uh, check Pilsner, and it's not keeping up because there's a heat wave in the United States and it's uh, triple digits some days here. And, and my set point for my fermenter is 35 degrees and it's only getting down to 39. So, um, so insulation is uh, a big aspect of the effectiveness of your glycol. It is a big expense. It's a lot to think about. And not everyone is 
necessarily ready for that, uh, whether that's financially or if you're just not prepared to be that involved, that's perfectly fine. There are many other ways to do it. And one of those is a fermentation chamber. And what that is, it's basically a large refrigerator or some type of little tiny room where your chamber, where you're, you're going to put your fermentation vessel in. And as you get more vessels, bigger vessels, and stuff like that, the chamber either has to be big enough to accommodate all those or change in size. This is the cheapest, most reliable fermentation control. You can find used uh, chest freezers for pretty cheap or if not free, depending on how lucky you get. But all you need is that and then a controller that keeps that that essentially controls the refrigeration cycle within that uh, freezer so that it doesn't freeze your beer because that's what it's it's meant for that's what it's set up to do um, innately and so you're, you're going to need a fermentation a set point controller that's going to control that refrigeration cycle these are becoming more and more uh, available uh, affordable uh, Inkbird has some s plug-in ones that are super, super cheap in the $30 to $40 range and uh, do an incredible job. So th this obviously is going to be what most people go for when they are ready to take that next step into fermentation control. A couple things to think about with this is that you just you want to set your fermentation chamber that ambient temperature to just a few degrees below your fermentation temp uh, because the inside of your beer or your fermentation vessel is going to be warmer than the ambient chamber. And there's been debate, does much of this matter? I don't really know, but I personally like to know that my beer is at my desired set point and not at an unknown. So the fermentation chamber is definitely, d don't take my uh, weird anal retentiveness as, uh, as a deterrent from this. This is going to help your beers so much if you don't already have it. it it's, it's incredibly useful and it, it's so useful that a lot of people don't even move away from it to glycol that it's it's cheap it's effective and it is what you should be doing if you are ready to take that next step into brewing better beer and then last but not least are water baths and cooling jackets and i'm not talking glycol cooling jackets i'm talking about t-shirts as jackets so water baths and, and cooling jackets or t-shirts uh, these help use either a heat sink which is going to be your water bath or an evaporative cooling mechanism to cool your beer uh, that whole spiel I talked about on the glycol refrigeration cycle uh, using that evaporative cooling uh, to chill relative to ambient well that's what's going on when you are putting a wet t-shirt on your on, on your fermentation so very same idea, much more primitive technology. 
Um, but these these are really both very effective methods. Uh, the heat sink is because water has such a high uh, capacity for absorbing energy without changing very much in temperature. Uh, that's that's what a heat sink is. It's it's a large mass where it can absorb a lot of heat without changing temperature, and so it can it, it can basically keep uh, absorbing heat, keep absorbing heat, keep absorbing heat, and that's what you want for fermentation control, especially in these hot summer months. And while these are not necessarily temperature quote unquote control. They do help keep fermentation in check and lower the temperature. Uh, if you're if you're fermenting in a closet that can reach up to 90 degrees ambient, uh, I guarantee you, if you use a method like this, where you're per where you're putting your fermentation vessel um, in like a little kiddie pool or something, um, or you're just putting uh, a wet t-shirt on it every now and then and re-wetting that t-shirt to create that evaporative effect, you're going to make better beer. <laughs> so it, you don't need the comparison of your fermentation to be the glycol chilled or the fermentation chamber fermentation. Comparing and despairing is a dangerous path, uh, but compare it to what it would be if you didn't do the things that that you're doing if if you didn't take the precautions of using a water bath or a cooling jacket and it's it really is going to make a lot of difference and you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to do it so that's my spiel on fermentation control and if you don't want to do any of that if you're as lazy as I am uh, things like kvike kvike kvake I don't know how the hell you say it. I've heard five to ten different ways to say it. I don't know which one's correct. I know there are different dialects or different areas. Either kvake or kvike, what have you. Please don't judge me. Uh, I can't handle that. But but those types of yeast strains, or not even strains, those yeast blends are going to be... They're going to make good beer. Uh, I... Do not necessarily agree with the quote-unquote clean lager fermentations of of uh, kvake, but you can make very good drinkable beer using them and no fermentation control. In fact, the hotter they get, some strains, some isolates, or some blends, the uh, better the beer can get. So, working around with that, or if you are a big fan of saisons. Saisons do wonderfully in that 80 to 90 degree Fahrenheit range, and and while I necessarily uh, wouldn't recommend them for a heat wave like the United States is in right now, uh, I would recommend them in the summer months if you don't necessarily want to take those um, steps in into water baths or cooling jackets. Or um, if you don't want to be spending the money on fermentation chambers or glycol chillers, saisons are going to be your best bet. And then uh, kvike is going to be wonderful as well. Um, but with, with with those kvikes, whatever, <sighs> got to stop saying it so I'm not duplicating. 
but uh, if you do use those Norwegian farmhouse strains, uh, definitely make sure you use more yeast nutrient than you think you should because uh, they come out weird if you don't. All right, I think that's it on this topic. If you have questions, send me an email, garrett at progressivebeer.com. That email address will be in the description of this podcast. Uh, I'll personally answer any of your questions uh, as well as I can to help you out. And also feedback is a great way for me to touch on subjects that you want to listen to or learn more about. And uh, as always, thank you for listening and see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.